and welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. In the second segment of our podcast on responsible mining and investor in other demands, Adam Matthews and Fiona Sesford continue the discussion with a focus on global attempts to deal with the issue of tailing storage failures. Tailings management, a big issue for the industry and investors, and you've been doing a lot on it, Adam. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I, I would imagine everyone's aware of the, the disasters that have happened in the sector, which which were part of a trend of increasing major disasters that were impacting communities and the environment, and clearly in Mariana, where you had 19 people killed, and then you had Brumadino, 270, you had enormous tragedies that have just just horrific events that should never have happened, should never be something that that should be happening today. But they're happening in facilities that have been built that should be lasting in perpetuity and are some of the largest structures. And you could be standing on the Tainan facility thinking it's the side of a hill and not being aware of it. And there is no, there was no global standard. There was examples of good practice within individual countries and within some companies, but there was no globalized standard that the sector was really operating and driving. And so from that disaster, investors very clearly recognized an issue that we didn't properly understand. We'd engaged previously with the BHP and Vale in relation to Mariana some sort of four, four, five years ago. And well, five years ago now. And we'd engaged the companies, but we hadn't engaged the problem. And so when Brumadino happened, it was it was really a moment that the investor community just, right, th- this has to be different. We cannot continue with such incidents happening. Now it's not to say that one won't happen again in the future, but in due course, I believe that the standard that's now been developed driven into the whole of the mining sector and properly applied and independently monitored and uh, reinforced through other measures, I think we'll get to a point where this can be safely addressed, but there's still a long way to go on this. But from our perspective, we, we initiated a program with the Swedish National Pension Funds. It's about 20 trillion of assets now behind us in terms of how, how we've approached this issue and really saying that this has to be different. And very practically working through with companies, with inputs from communities of what are the issues. And it started really basic in terms of what is a tailing facility? What are the different tailing facilities? What are the ways of managing them? And then we sort of were like, well, actually, which company has a tailing facility? There was no disclosure on this. And so we've gone through a whole process of understanding who has what, how are they managed, initiating a a process to establish a new global standard together with the International Council of Mining and Metals and with the UN. And that process, which the principles responsible investment, which I represented, which is a 93 trillion investor organization, um, sort of globally, we worked with, with all the different stakeholders through an independent process led by an independent chair to develop the standard. And our sense is this is a really important moment to, to address this, this issue and, and take to, to ensure that these disasters don't happen again. But there's still quite a long way to go on this. Um, it's not job done at all, um, but it's a very significant step forward. Yeah, and I think one of the, the issues, obviously, because we're a, a, a professional body and, and therefore our members are individuals, one of the things that we're keen to work with people on is how an individual mining professional 
handles their professional status, if you like, if they spot that something is a bit awry, what do they do? Now, if you're a, a, a doctor, for example, in this country, and you spot some malpractice, there's a very clear framework about what you have to do to report it. Um, and you're uh, defended quite strongly if you if you whistleblow in that kind of context, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's the equivalent for a mining professional? Well, perhaps it isn't strong enough. And I think that's another area where professional bodies like ours and others can, can do some more. We're part of a global uh, alliance called the Global Mineral Professionals Alliance uh, of organisations that try to uh, to encourage that, if you like, amongst their individuals. And I think that's a, another aspect that we need to do much better on across the piece. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's hugely important. I mean, we all have individual responsibility. Now, me saying that is possibly quite easy in the situation where I'm not faced with that situation where you've discovered something and how do you act? But actually, the, the actions you take as an individual in those circumstances are really important. If there are concerns that are not being properly addressed and you've you've used the appropriate channels to raise them, then ultimately there should be whistleblower processes in place. The standard actually references whistleblowing processes. We did ask for that to be in the standard um, and we passionately support the need for whistleblowing channels and that there needs to be also lines of right through to the board of the company that are in addition to the chief executive so that the board can have that independent line of information that can challenge a narrative within a company as to whether they are operating to the high standards and I think whistleblowing is a really important part of that. I think professional bodies have got a hugely important role to stand behind individuals and the expectation that the ethics of your industry requires you in those instances to raise concerns. Clearly your first instance is to go through formal channels and all the processes that you do but if you do not feel that they've been addressed then there is that responsibility to pull pull that chain and I think you should expect protection and you should expect that you shouldn't have any sort of um, impact on you from doing that if, if you're doing that in a professional basis it's also an underlining that there has to be independence in in these things there's a range of issues where there has to be independent oversight of the site level operations on a range of issues that investors need to have confidence in being addressed properly as well as communities having every right to expect that they are addressed properly mm -hmm. and so I think that that that, that, that is a really important thing and, and bodies such as yourself have an important role in, in reinforcing that and when you talk about ethics I think this is part of the ethics that we all carry. Yep, I completely agree with you on that. So one of the interesting points I think people don't think about in the UK, I'm narrowing down to just for a moment, is when we think about tailings dams and tailings dams problems, we are generally thinking about in other countries, but actually there are hundreds of tailings storage facilities in the UK. Um, is that something that investors are that worried Because most of those, I suppose, are now well defunct, as it were. Is that just something that's outside of investors' concerns at the moment? Or is it something that's, that people are looking at? Well, I think any company that has an operation with any footprint or legacy that they still have responsibility for, investors want to understand whichever country it's operated in. So there, we, we've created a database that we've put on online. It's publicly available. There's no sort of barrier to getting into it. You can access it. You can look at listed companies and, and that footprint that they have. Now, clearly we've only covered listed companies to date and not all companies have yet responded, although we anticipate they will. Um, but we haven't covered private companies. And then equally, over time, facilities get lost. Um, they pass through hands. They sometimes and they often end up in governments or they can just be completely lost. So I still feel that there's a job of work to be done to ensure that we have caught up with that legacy of mining of how we've treated waste 
pretty much as an externality for far too long and dealt with far too cheaply. And we need to sort of identify all the tailings facilities in the world. And we've been looking at how you can utilize satellite technology to um, really track the footprint of tailings facilities because they are quite distinct. And as I said, you can be standing on one and not necessarily realize in, in some parts of the world because they've they've become a very stable part of a hillside and they've grown over. And that could be perfectly acceptable. But you need to assure yourself that they are being managed because that is the legacy that needs to continue sort of uh, management. But and ultimately, we need to get to a point where there are no there's no need to create these things. We've got new technologies that mean that we can mine far more effectively. There's far less waste. And equally, if there is waste that it's stacked and stored in a far more effective way than running the risk of these deeply complicated structures that are prone to fail. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a very valid point. That zero waste perspective is the the best solution to a lot of this. Fiona, so what what can your average mining company do in in the face of all this pressure and this? I think Adam described it as a torrent of information requests. Yes, well, um, it, it's hard. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, I, I think part of the the fundamental change that we're looking to see is is that uh, responsible mining concepts of ESG are are embedded within uh, the company ethos, kind of in a similar way to the way we've been seeing health and safety managed over the last decade or so, where where it's front and foremost of absolutely everything the company does. We, we need ESG to be handled the same way. But on a slightly more practical level, uh, for new projects, uh, I think that um, there needs to be consideration of the environmental social governance aspects right at the start. I mean, that's almost before boots are on the ground doing exploration. Um, it is critical that the ESG professionals work hand in hand with the project engineers iteratively throughout project development so that constraints and considerations around things management um, are understood right from the beginning and built into the plan design and the, the expected operation throughout the, the life cycle all the way through to, to closure. Um, there's things like the application of the, the management hierarchy. Um, first concept is to, to avoid negative impacts altogether, uh, then look at minimizing uh, the scale of impacts if they can't be avoided, managing any impacts that do occur and only if residual impacts remain, then you look at offsets or, or compensation. From a more operating perspective uh, and this, this concept of disclosure, there, you need to understand all the requirements of the stakeholders involved. Um, we've talked about you know, the local communities wanting to see more monitoring data and how they're being impacted. Then we've spoken a lot about investors, but there's also uh, third parties like the, the supply chain who want assurance that their supplies are, are green or free from concerns about human rights abuses. So with this plethora of standards that are out there, it's really important that the mining companies identify which ones apply to them, which ones their stakeholders have expectations around and then kind of do an alignment process. Now, some of those alignment processes are happening on a global scale, uh, whether it's through the accounting organizations who are looking at aligning theirs or the ICMM's equivalency process with other standards. The companies can then 
look at what's applicable to them, undertake a gap analysis and put action plans in place to address any gaps so that they can be disclosing on the right information that will inform all the different parties what they need to, to know. And this should hopefully minimize the administrative burden around the companies um, and facilitate them being transparent. Come back around to, I think, a question we were talking about earlier. If the companies want to, to be proactive uh, in this, it's quite important that they look at external assurance or, or validation of their data. It's, you know, if you don't have whistleblowers and the whistleblowers don't have anyone to report to, then making sure that there's external assurance and validation is a good way of, of trying to build trust in the statements being made by, by the mining companies and that they really are trying to do the right thing. I wanted to pick up on something that you mentioned, that, and it's the first time we've we've talked about it in this conversation, which is the, the supply chain side of things. Because yes. there are uh, an increasing number of uh, initiatives around things like green aluminium or you know, the 3TG stuff that's going on, looking at some of the conflict minerals and, and so on and so forth. And, and you've got the, the London Metal Exchange trying to do various bits and pieces and so on and so forth. Can you say a bit about that side of it, Fiona? Well, I think it, it started initially with uh, the OECD's due diligence guidance for responsible supply chains of minerals from conflict affected and high risk areas. That is a mouthful. <laughs> um, which recognized that some of the key materials and metals that, that we need going forward with this green economy uh, are the ones that are at most at risk of, of human exploitation. Uh, and so uh, th that guidance came out and that's now been picked up by a number of organizations, including the, the London Metal Exchange, which is embedding the concept of responsible um, sourcing into their brand listing requirements uh, they also have announced plans with respect to helping recycling, scrap, and electric vehicle industries in their transition to, to the sustainable economy. So all of these things promote the concept that, that metals power this transition, uh, but you need to be confident that, that the materials are being responsibly sourced, that there is low carbon production, that the technologies being used are, are environmentally sound, uh, and that there's considerations of the circular economy um, wh where that can be brought in. There are minds out there now that are, are looking at zero waste. So these things are possible. Mm. Adam, we've, we, we've obviously heard about some of the disasters that you mentioned and, you know, they've been in the mainstream media and, and specialist press and so on and so forth. I guess we, it's human nature, we don't hear so much about the good examples. Do you, do you come across some good examples in your work? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we had a call with uh, a number of the, the mining companies that, uh, large ones, that and how they've been dealing with the COVID crisis recently. And it was very impressive to hear how, in, in a very short space of time, they've had to sort of step into this emergency response. They have that responsibility to their workforce, but then to the communities in which they're operating. And in, in, in many instances, they, they were operating in areas where they were in effect as important as the state in the reaction. And so I think there's a huge story to be told in actually understanding the role that mining companies played in some of the response to COVID. And I think we're at the um, early stages of really understanding that. And, and from an investor perspective, we're keen to understand that. And because I, I think that this positive narrative of 
of the sector in this regard is is really key because it demonstrates their understanding of their role in in this context and their, their role in society locally etc and so from our perspective hearing about that um has been very encouraging and we know it goes through many companies not just the large ones we, we've heard it from other sources we've also been very encouraged with a lot of the companies that are participating in the dialogues that that are happening in for example in, in south africa in the courageous conversations led by archbishop tarbo who's the archbishop of cape town and uh, there you have a coming together with a number of the leading mining companies whether large medium or small in in south africa um initially convened by mark Tavani and anglo but together with the trade unions together with the ministers and together with civil society groups under the auspices of all the religions in south africa having a very open honest discussion about what does the mining sector look like in 10 years in south africa how is it going to be impacted by automation how is it going to be impacted by changes in commodity demand how is it going to be impacted by the legacy of, of issues like tailings and and what is the pathway for this sector that can carry community confidence workers confidence um, and and equally the mining companies and and really play the role that, that that sector does in the economy of south africa and that poses huge challenges now that could be a very difficult path one fraught with conflict and one fraught with with, with challenge um, or it could be a path that actually could be one that we all had a shared vision in and a shared ownership of and responsible investors could align behind those companies in, in driving their role in it and that actually had a much more of a partnership and my sense is that companies thinking in that kind of context are the ones that I think you're going to see capital aligning behind and, and providing um, them the support that they need to to sort of deliver the vision and role in that kind of more partnership landscape and, I, and I'd sort of credit the likes of an Anglo in some regards for the way that they sort of understand themselves in the environments that they operate. Um, I think other companies are, are good on, I, I mean, we, we, we engage very broadly with companies on a whole raft of issues. This morning I was on a call with a significant company in, in, in Asia that is making a very major move to acquire and to have joint ventures and and yet hasn't got many of the sort of policies around key areas of uh, that you'd expect and yet we, the conversation was look how, how do we get from where you are today and are you intent to sort of really become an example of best practice you're clearly going to be a major player um you're already facing challenges and how do we work with you constructively to get you to a point that you embed this best practice and, and there's that partnership potential with, with companies. So, so my sense is that there is that um, definite good practice on all kinds of issues. I think on climate change, you've seen BHP jump ahead in terms of starting to acknowledge scope three emissions. I think this sector's hugely behind where the iron and gas sector has. Yes, there's complexities with diversified mining, but ultimately they've got to embrace and acknowledge the responsibility and relationship with scope three emissions and then work with their investors to find a path through where a lot of the actions that are going to be taken can be taken through value chains and, and relationships through um, sectors that, that they don't control, but they contribute to but part of the answer is there. And I think you'll find investors working with those that are the best practitioners and, and acknowledging that. So yes, lots of good practice that we, we, we do try and hold up and do try and acknowledge, um, but they're all dragged down when things go wrong that affect the whole sector. And, and it goes back to where we started the conversation that we've got to get a grip of these sort of sector-wide things. I think initiatives like ICMM are very important because they are 
they, they have been sort of driving a number of sort of standards of best practice. But, but we're into a new territory where it's going to be much more of a partnership where you're going to see investors with communities, with, with companies trying to drive the change that's needed. Yes, and of course, uh, it's always easier to engage with the two dozen or whatever large publicly yeah. owned companies. The exactly. This has got to be driven down throughout. Yeah. And if you can to the artisanal and small mining, you're really in, struggling to, to make the connections. Sorry, Fiona. No, I was just going to say that, um, you know, we've been talking mainly about the, the majors, but, you know, I have a couple of clients that I've worked with over a number of years who are single or, or very few asset mining companies. And some of the work they're doing in partnership with things like um, small businesses and agricultural cooperatives and, and trying to um, look at the, the wider economy within the small area in which they work. There are some really, really good examples uh, around the world. Unfortunately, we just don't, we don't hear enough about those. And as we talked about earlier, it only takes one company making a mistake for the entire industry to be painted negatively. And one, one of the areas that's sort of interesting to us is, I mean, we're increasingly moving into private equity and, and seeing the role of private equity at that early stage where you have much smaller operations or startup and how you can embed really good practice right from the off. And there's, there is a lot of it there as well. I think there's a lot of intent and I think there's a much more proactive, positive role that sort of private equity can play in, in how they can help a company on that journey but it also goes back to ensuring that there's real clarity around the standards that exist whether and defining which ones there is a real clear expectation across the board and ensuring that that can then flow through and there's mechanisms to share best practice through. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, Fiona, uh, one quick question focusing back onto the UK for a moment. Um, actually, although people perhaps don't realise it, there is still a mining industry in the UK and perhaps it's even growing. Do you get a sense that UK-based mining industry is, is thinking about these issues too? I, I think that the, there is some thought about it. Um, certainly, uh, there's an organisation called the, the Critical Minerals Association that SRK is a member of, and I sit on their ESG working group. Um, the Critical Mineral Association is looking to bring together kind of cross-sectoral organisations to raise awareness with the UK government about some of the issues around critical minerals and um, linked to that responsible mining. Um, it's aiming to uh, increase self-sufficiency within the UK uh, from our own industry and through our, our wider supply chain. Um, it's also looking at um, you know, what do we consider to be best practice and um, making sure that the entire supply chain is considering that, uh, whether it's mining or manufacturing. Um, and also uh, improving um, societal and governmental perceptions of, of the critical mineral sector and highlighting the, the value chain and the importance um, in, in the drive towards the UK's green economy, um, kind of similar to the uh, European Union's Green Deal. Yes, and it's interesting to see, uh, talking about critical materials, that the UK government is edging towards actually creating a list 
of critical material. Many of us have we, been. We, we wait with bated breath. <laughs> um, so, just a, a last question for for both of you before we we close. We said a little bit um, about how a body like IOM three, the, the the body for professionals in mining, can can act in in this kind of space. Do you have any further thoughts that uh, you want to offer how we? Can up our game uh, to help professionals be the, on the right side of these arguments instead of the wrong sides? Well, uh, I guess one of the things that, that's worth noting is that um, when you think about the fact we do have a very small mining industry, relatively speaking, I think the UK punches well above its weight in terms of, of knowledge capital in the mining industry. Um, so this includes, uh, you know, the, the experts that sit within the financial markets based in London, consultancies spread across the, the UK, such as SRK, then the non-governmental support bodies and the industry and research organizations, many of which are based in the UK. Um, but there's a big risk. We could lose this, this kind of competitive advantage and, and knowledge capital um, because of the negative perception of the wider public and how that then impacts on um, students um, choosing geosciences or, or STEM topics um, and, and developing a career in the mining industry. So I definitely think there's a role for organizations such as the, the IOM3 to really actively promote the pipeline of the future workforce. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, look, I, I'd love it if my daughter um, became an engineer and wanted to work in the mining sector. Um, is that likely? I, I don't know. I mean, I do talk to her about it, but I, I just sort of feel that the way it seems structured in this country, these, these options get closed off to girls far quicker than it does to others. And, and there's still a sort of systemic problem on that. Um, I, I just think that there needs to be much greater recognition that this sector requires a whole set of talent to continue to come into it and the best and to be inspired to work in it. And yet I hear concerns around courses being closed in colleges um, for mining engineering in this country and other countries. And uh, just to me, that seems absolutely at odds with, with the need and the urgency of the need. You look at the issue of tailings down, we need a mountain of engineers and specialists coming into this sector, which I suspect will be hugely lucrative roles um, but with enormous responsibilities and the new standard is going to require that kind of pipeline and I don't see it and I don't see the sector and the professional bodies grappling with how do we have a comprehensive strategy that really seeks to bring all the entities together to drive that sort of that pipeline to come through and it to be as diverse as possible so that you can benefit from the full array of talents across the broadest set of the population as possible. And at the moment, I think you see these things being cut off far too um, quickly. So I, I feel that that one is really important because you're going to need them as your workforce, you're going to need them as your, your brightest and best, you're going to need them equally as the potential future people that are going to actually be involved in, in wanting to own shares in companies as well. So, so and have confidence that their pension funds are going to be invested in these, these entities as well. So I think it comes that there's multiple approaches to this. So I couldn't agree more, Fiona. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree as well. And there's nothing um, more than an exciting panel where we all agree with each other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, we, 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 we like to um, educate people rather than excite them. <laughs> um, I'm uh, really grateful to both of you for spending some time with me today. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. For more information about us, visit iom3.org. 
Or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using at IOM3 on Twitter and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify.